0: So if you have your Bible with you, uh, would you open up to Matthew 25? That's where we're going to be today. It's page 694. If you're using the Bible that looks like this one, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we'd love to have you just grab the one that looks like this that's near you and take that home with you. That is a gift from us. Um, And if you have your smart device, we're at the the Bible app, Uversion Bible app, and you'll find actually our notes there for this morning as well uh, under the events tab. So I hope you'll check that out as we get started this morning. So while you're turning there, just kind of hold your place there for a moment. Here's what I'd like you to think about. There's a question I would like for you to, uh, you don't have to answer it out loud, but if you would think about what your answer to this would be. If I had it to do all over over again I would what again don't say it out loud uh, but but think through that just a little bit uh, as you think through your whole life and for some of us that's been relatively few years you know 15 20 years for others of us it's you know 80 years 90 years um, if you had it to do all over again what would you do uh, in his book who switched the price tags Tony Kempolo tells about a sociological study of 50 people who are over the age of 95 so they They grabbed 50 people uh, who were 95 years old or older, and they asked them uh, this question. If you had your life to live over again, what would you do differently? Now, it was an open-ended question. They could say anything that they wanted. Uh, Many different perspectives were given responses, were tabulated. Uh, but there were three answers that just kept coming up. Different wording, but the the idea just kept coming up over and over and over again. And and those three answers were: if I had it to do all over again, I would reflect more, I would risk more, and, and I would do more things that lived on after I'm dead. So if this is your first Sunday with us, by the way, I'm really glad that you're here uh, today. This morning, we're going to wrap up our King and Kingdom series where we've been looking at what the King values in his kingdom. So what what is it that Jesus, what, what do we see in scripture that he applauds? Uh, so today what we're going to see is that the King applauds taking risks. And uh, we're not just going to talk about it. So today before you leave, you are going to be invited into, given the opportunity to take a risk on behalf of the kingdom that has the possibility to change someone's life now uh, and also for eternity. So you get that opportunity today before we're all, we're all said and done. So, uh, but it will require risk on our part because here's the thing I want to make sure you get it's at the top of your notes. The king's kingdom is filled with risk takers. As a matter of fact, when you read through Scripture, right, uh, what you what you find is that the people that God uses—that is, He is able to use—are those who are willing to climb out on the end of the branch, are willing to take that risk. Abraham, who God went to him and said, "Leave your home and your family. I'll show you where you're going to go," he risked everything and left. Moses, who risked uh, going back to face Pharaoh for the release of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Esther, who risked her life going before the king and saving the people of Israel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would not bow down to the golden idol, risked being thrown into a fiery furnace. Mary, New Testament, angel appears tells her she's going to be, she will give birth to the son of God. She risked everything. She wasn't even married. Peter climbed out of the boat onto the water. Zacchaeus risked everything by climbing up in a tree so he could see what Jesus looked like. And then he climbed out of the tree to bring Jesus to his house. Listen, faithfulness is a risk. I love this quote by Mark Twain. Maybe you've heard at least part of this. 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the things that you did do. The rest of that quote is to so throw off the bow line, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. And I think part of what draws me, maybe you, to that quote is that it reflects something that we read in scripture. So when the author of Hebrews writes, he says, this is what faith is. Faith is being sure of something that you hope for and certain of something you've never even seen. All right? So there's some risk uh, involved in that, but faithfulness is a risk. And the more you're willing to risk, the more God is able to use you. And if you're willing to risk everything for the sake of his name and his kingdom, if you're willing to risk everything, there's not anything that he cannot do inside of you and then through you in the lives of other people. So Jesus tells this story that uh, many of us, maybe not all of us, but many of us may be familiar with. Uh, but I wonder if in the familiarity of this story, maybe we've missed what Jesus is telling us or showing us about riskiness in the kingdom of God. So check this out. uh, Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went uh, on his journey. So we're going to stop for a moment. Can you back us up? Can you back us up one slide? I just want to make sure they catch us. So the first word in the verses that we read, do you see what it is? It's the word again, right? I want to draw your attention to that because it tells us that our verses are part of a larger teaching. So if you have your Bibles open, if you look back one chapter, you're going to find out that in chapters 24 and 25 uh, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is talking to those uh, that he's teaching aspects of his second coming. And he does so in four stories, So he's talking about his his second coming. He tells four stories in verses thirty-six to fifty-one. Jesus teaches that no one knows when he's going to come back. Not the angels don't know. He doesn't even know. Only one person knows. Only the father knows. So no one knows when it's going to be. In verses one to 12, he says, he's kind of building. And so he says, so you need to be ready. You just live your life as if I'm coming back at any moment. You need to be ready for my, my coming. In verses 31 to 46, he does tell us that when he comes back, there will be a judgment day. All of us will stand before God, right? Uh, and there will be a, a judgment day. And in our verses, Jesus is telling us, so what we're gonna see is that Jesus is telling us what we need to be doing until he comes back. So check this out, back to the story. The man who had received the five bags of gold when at once put his money to work and he gained five bags more. So also, the one who had received two bags of gold uh, gained two more. But the guy who had received one bag, he went off he dug a hole in the ground, and that's where he hid his master's money. Now, if you heard this story uh, when you were growing up, you may have heard the word talent. Actually, that's the Greek word when you translate it literally. It's the word talent. When Luke, in his gospel, tells a story that's very similar to this, not exactly the same story, but a similar story, he uses the word mina. Okay, So, uh, five talents, uh, two talents, one talent, right? Our verses says bags of gold. To fully appreciate uh, what that means, you have to realize what a talent was. So the, the word that she used is talent. We translate it bags of gold now. A talent was originally a measurement of weight. In Jesus's day, it had come to mean a great sum of money. It was worth 6,000 denarii, which really doesn't mean much to you and me, but what denarii was worth one day's wages. So a talent, this bag of gold, was worth 20 years of a day laborer's salary. 20 years of your salary is what this is worth. So most scholars back in Jesus' day think it was worth about $1,000. Zoom forward to 2017, it's worth more like a million dollars. And I don't know about you, but if someone gave me 100 years wages, that's what the first guy was given, 20 years wages, five times, five bags of that. If someone gave me that much money, I don't think I would ever take another risk as long as I lived. I mean, I would have plenty of money to last the rest of my life. I would be tempted to just play it safe for the rest of my life, because I had everything that I need. But the servant had more uh, to lose. This servant had more to lose. But Jesus's point is, he also had more to gain. Uh, because of that. Verse 15, the owner expected each servant to invest the money wisely and to, to do the best that he could. That's why he gave each according to his ability. He knew the abilities of his servants, and so he gave them what he knew they could handle well, which by the way reminds us of this principle. I want to make sure that you catch in the kingdom. Kingdom people take different risks. So all of us in this room this morning... My risk and your risk, your risk and the person's risk beside you, they will not look alike. God did not intend for us to be made from the same mold. Nothing He gives to us is given equally. He doesn't equally distribute abilities or intelligence or likable personalities or attractiveness. Some people will be more talented than others. Some will be smarter. Some will be more attractive. Some will be better leaders. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. You ever been in the home of someone who I mean they they can cook. I mean they 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 know how to make it happen. You ever been in someone's house like that? You ever been in someone else's house who is, I mean bless their heart. You know. Uh, it was a good effort. Uh, William McEwen talks about his wife, says that she's a by-the-recipe baker. By the way, I, that's what I am. Don't tell me a pinch of this and a smidge of that. Uh, You've got to tell me exact measurements and exact times. Is anyone else like that? You're, I mean, you are a by-the-book. You you know what I'm saying? Well, that's the way his wife was. Her aden- attention to detail helped in some dishes, not her chocolate chip cookies. He said, one day after the cookies had been in the oven a while, I smelled a familiar odor. So I shouted to my wife from the other room, they're burning. His wife yells back, I know. And he said, aren't you going to take them out of the oven? She said, no, they have six minutes left. Um, (laughs) Not everyone has the same gift. And those with the same gift, with similar gifts, don't have it in the same amount. Obedience is willing, being willing to do whatever, wherever, whenever, with whatever God has given us. And by the way, that looks very different. For everyone in this room, that's going to look a little bit different, but back to the story, right? So after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with his servants. So the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. Look. I have gained five more. The second guy came to him, the second servant, and that was true of him as well. To them both, the master said this, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But then the man came in who had received one bag of gold. He said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed so I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. So, clunk, here's what belongs, here's what you gave me. Now, I just want to stop for a moment because I want to make sure you catch this. Why does he say that he did what he did? What was he? He was, he was afraid. And, and, and I would suggest that he was afraid for the same reason that maybe you and I feel fear today as well. There are things that we are afraid of. And quite frankly, when we talk about risk, the thing that we know about risk is that risk is risky, right? But but how but how do kingdom people approach risk? That's one of the questions. So here's one of the things, I want to make sure you get this, it's in your notes. Kingdom people, we, we expect problems. When we're getting ready to take a risk, we know there are going to be Problems. It's almost as if by taking a risk, you're inviting problems into your life. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11 says this those who wait for perfect weather will never plant seeds. Those who look at every cloud will never, right, will never harvest crops. We know if we just wait for the perfect conditions, it's never going to happen. You just have to go sometimes when it's time to go. Kingdom risk takers know that there's going to be setbacks, there's going to be opposition, there's going to be unexpected obstacles. Larry Lauden said, who is a philosopher of science, he summarized literature on risk management in 19 principles. The very first principle uh, he said is this everything is risky. If you're looking for absolute safety, you chose the wrong species. So chose the wrong species. Really sorry about your luck. Uh, Greg Lavoie said this. Jesus promised that those who followed him only three things. So if you have if you're following Jesus, Jesus has promised you three things. You will be absurdly happy. You will be entirely fearless, and you will always be in trouble. Those are three things you can count on. Listen, here's another reason, by the way, you might not risk. Kingdom people know fear is the price of growth. Fear is very real when you are a person who is taking risks. The choice to follow Jesus, the choice to grow in that relationship, is the choice for the constant recurrence of fear. Here's a deep truth about taking risks that fear is never going to go away. Now, I, I think the reason for that is every time I take a risk, I'm beginning to move in new territory. I'm beginning to do something I've not done before. I'm beginning to make decisions about things I've never made decisions, and I'm taking on new challenges. And every time I do that, there's going to be another wave of fear. Susan Jeffers said, the fear will never go away as long as I continue to grow. Never you will spend the rest of your life being afraid. So thanks for coming this morning. And what listen, listen, not, let's you can give up. Here's the deal. Just stop trying to make the fear go away. Fear and growth go together like macaroni and cheese, peanut butter and jelly. It's Ohio state national championships. Listen, it's a package <laughs> deal. So the question is what causes you to fear? So f- for somebody who's here this morning, maybe you're afraid to join a small group I mean, on the plus side, you wouldn't be alone anymore. Now you would have some real friends who really know your story. The downside is now you have people who really know your story. And if they get to know you real well, they may find out that you're not as pretty on the inside as you are on the outside. And that's a legitimate fear. Or maybe you're afraid to talk to a family member or a neighbor or a coworker about your faith. You're kind of afraid to let them know That you're a Jesus follower, because if you do that, they may ask you questions that you don't know the answers to, and so they're going to question your intelligence or the authenticity of your faith, and you're afraid of that. Or maybe you're afraid to be baptized. You know that if you make that commitment to Jesus, he will do all kinds of great things in your life, and uh, we've had people invite their friends out of the lobby, so they they're out there while it's happening. Even when we're all in here, they're out there, and they know that their friends have had something significant happen in their life just because they were invited into that into that moment. But maybe you're afraid of that. I had someone tell me they didn't want to have their hair wet in public. It was listen, I, I was an that was a fear they had. Whatever it is. <laughs> Maybe you're afraid to tell someone you're not a Christian because you've been coming for a while, maybe a long time, and so people around you, you're at least, a, they think you are a Christian, and you're afraid, and you're afraid they might ask you some tough questions about why you're not, or that they might just perform an exorcism on you, you know, right here, uh, Maybe you're afraid to go on a mission trip. Maybe you're afraid to get pushed out of your comfort zone. Maybe you're afraid to ask for help in a relationship you're in, and it's struggling, you're drowning, but you're afraid to ask for help because the people on the outside are going to see that your life isn't as easy as you make it sound. And, And you're afraid for them to know that because image is very important to you. Look at this question. What if the life you really want and the future God wants for you is hiding right now in your biggest problem? What if working through that is what's going to get you where you really want to go, or your worst failure, or your greatest fear? What if the life you really want is hiding inside of one of those things? You see, there is someone inside of us who tells us that we are made for more than merely avoiding failure. Someone inside of us is calling us to leave the comfort of this routine existence and abandon ourselves into this high adventure of following Jesus, because that's exactly what it is. Following Jesus is not easy. It is a high adventure, and it calls for a lot of risk on our part. But man, it is an adventure that is for this lifetime and for forever take a look at this kingdom risk takers also correctly understand failure it doesn't just say understand failure correctly understand failure it's because they failed before someone once asked winston churchill what most prepared him to risk political suicide by speaking out against hitler in the 30s and then and then leading great britain against nazi germany Churchill said it was the time he had to repeat a grade in elementary school. And the guy interviewing him said, you mean you failed a year in grade school? Churchill said, I never failed anything in my life. I was given a second opportunity to get it right, right? Herman Melville said, he who has never failed somewhere, that man cannot be great because failure is the test of greatness. Solomon, who succeeded wildly, said there is no one on earth who does what is right all the time and never makes a mistake. For kingdom risk takers, their fear of missing out is much greater than their fear of messing up. Do you get that? The idea of missing out on something that God has for them is just too great to be worried about messing up. There are basically two approaches to life. One is playing to win and the other is playing not to lose. And too many of us are tentatively playing this game of life as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. I don't know where we got that idea. Kingdom risk takers, our manifesto is this. I think it's on your notes. Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Set God-sized goals. Pursue God-ordained passion. Go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. If God doesn't show up, it ain't going to happen. That's what risk takers do. One last thing I want to make sure you catch this morning from this story kingdom risk-takers experience a deeper connection with God. You know, most of us love to hear about how powerful God is, and Scripture gives us some pictures, some images uh, that we cling to. He is a rock. He's a fortress. Uh, he is a strong tower. As a matter of fact, the Bible says his name, it's not even his, it's his name. His name is a strong tower that we can run to and hide. He is a king and a warrior. He makes clouds, his chariots, and he rides on the wings of the wind. We're told that God can make the earth tremble just by looking at it. He makes the mountain smoke at a touch, and when he raises his voice, the earth melts Most people I know love to hear those kind of stories. I mean, they they gravitate toward the images of how powerful this God is that we serve. But the question is, who is it that experiences this? Is it the person reading the story? Or is it the person who's actually in the story? That actually needs God to get them through whatever it is they're getting through. It's not just that it would be nice if God shows up. But if he doesn't show up, we're done here. We have no chance without his power. Henry David Thoreau said, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately. And not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I wonder if that isn't what Jesus wants for us. He wants to make sure that when we come to die, that we discover we never really lived in the first place because he's called us to this adventure of walking with him. So, how does this story end? Matthew 25. His master replied, "'You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I haven't sown. You knew that I gathered where I haven't scattered seed. You should have at least put my money on deposit with a banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest.'" take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. I'll tell you what, these words, these are the most, these are the harshest words spoken in the gospel. And yet they are spoken to someone who broke even. Think about that. This guy broke even and Jesus jumps all over him. Evidently, breaking even isn't good enough in the kingdom of God. In contrast, in the context of this parable, wickedness is the equivalence of burying whatever it is God has entrusted to you and putting it in the ground. He took no risk with what God entrusted him. When Paul writes about this type of thing in Colossians 4, he says, make the most of every opportunity. I want to make sure we all catch what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Jesus is looking for bungee jumping, hand gliding, day trading, tornado chasing, pinto drivers, all right? That's not what we're talking about here. That's not kingdom of God, people who take risks just for the sake of taking risks. What he's looking for is people who will take risks because Jesus said that I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Gates are defensive devices. Storming those gates requires offensive measures, and I would add requires risk takers to launch those offenses. The decision to grow always involves a choice between risk and comfort. It means that comfort, as a follower of Jesus, it cannot be the ultimate value of our life, that we're just looking for comfort And that may be sobering news to some of us because comfort is what we are looking for. Can you guess the name of the best-selling chair in America? You already know what it is. It's not risky boy, right? It's not worker boy. It's lazy boy. And I'm not saying don't ever kick back. we all need to take a break now and then. I hope you have that on your calendar. I hope you have times planned where you are going to get away and you're going to rest and relax because we all need that from time to time. I'm just saying, be careful. You can become used to that and it becomes the norm for your life. And one day you wake up and you find out that it was. Let me pull you that first word in our verse again. The word, the very first word in our verses was what? Again. This is the fourth story Jesus tells about his second coming. Why live a risky life? Why is that owner so angry when this guy, he gave him back what he was given. Why is he so angry about that? Because Jesus is talking about his second coming. And if he comes back, and there are people who have not made a commitment to him. They will die and go to hell. I just said if. Let me change that. When Jesus comes back, and we don't know when it's going to be, so we always have to be ready, and we have to take risks, because there are people that we know, if they If Jesus comes back before they make a decision about him, they die without him, they go to hell forever without him. And Jesus just can't tolerate the thought. Look at the last quote on your notes. Hell begins the day God grants you the vision to see all that you could have done, should have done, and would have done, but you didn't do. You want to know what hell is going to be like? It starts when you look around you and think of the difference. God could have used, wanted to use you to make this difference in people's lives. But you sought comfort instead because you wouldn't take the risk. That's what he's calling us to. That's what the king values. Let me go to him in prayer. God, thank you for who you have called us to be. And it's not not even just you've given us words and pointed in a direction. You walked it before us to the cross. And then you invite us to walk that with you. And so God, I pray that as a church, we will be those people that others look at and marvel at the risks that we are willing to take. And God, may the risks that we take be because of your name, not to make ourselves look good, not to make our name great in this community, but that your name might be marveled at, that people might be amazed because of this group of people who meet in Miamisburg, Ohio, are making such a difference, not just in their community, not just in their region, but are making a difference around the world because they are willing to risk who they are for the sake of who we can become. God, use us to help people see you, and we pray this in the powerful name uh, of Jesus. Amen. So your next step in your relationship with Jesus when it comes to this idea of risk-taking, remember I told you at the beginning, we're not just going to talk about it, right? I told you you're going to be invited into a risky adventure. So I've asked Rich McKinley, who is our executive pastor, uh, to come out. And so Rich does a ton of things around here, but one of the areas he oversees is our missions ministries. And so uh, this is the risk. He's going to explain the risk and how you can jump in on this uh, this morning.
1: Mike, did you see their faces? They thought I was going to sing. I
0: know. I I was a little leery myself.
1: (laughs) We have done uh, two minor projects in the past, kind of a play on living out the story that Mike just shared with you. Uh, So we have uh, folks that are going to be around the doors with envelopes uh, as you leave this service today. And in the envelopes, there's going to be $10, $20. We don't really know for sure. Uh, But we're going to ask you to get that. Take it and invest it with the talents that you have. We've got lots of folks who are doing some cool things. We have kids that did lemonade stands, people. I'm going to buy furniture and refinish it because I like to work with wood and try and sell it and make a profit and see if I can turn that over and over between now and August 6th when we bring it all back. Now, why are we doing this? It's uh, helping us with uh, resources to be able to feed people right here in the Miami Valley and at our partner ministry at Lifeline Christian in Haiti. Now, a number of you have been to Haiti before and you've seen that food being distributed out there and you know how that is literally a lifeline to those folks. And so we're going to try and bag food in October when we do Love in Action again, but we need to pay for those resources. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what we're talking about. Success is not going to be measured by the size of the the money that we return. It it will be excited, but that's not all that this is about. This is bigger than just raising financial resources. You know, Mike talked about a couple of things in his message, risk and fear. Um, We want you to conquer those two things, and this is a tool to do it. Because we're going to ask you to go out and use your talents, but then you're going to have to do something to market that, right? You're going to have to sell it. You're going to have to talk to people. You're going to have to tell people that you're a part of a church that cares that we live in the fourth hungriest community in the United States. We see it's a problem, and we want to do something about it. And this is one of the ways that we're trying to work. We have friends that are in Haiti who, who struggle to get one meal a day, and that's not okay with us. So we're going to do something about it. We're going to measure the success of this by the conversations that you have because some of you have been praying for people for a long time about how to share your faith without looking weird. This is going to be a way to do it. We want you to uh, risk that conversation. We want you to face that fear of how they might react or respond. But I think when you tell people what you're going to be doing and why you're going to do it, they may want to be involved as well. We want to challenge you to do something. Today we've come to the next step part of the service. And we've done this for a number of years. Part of it is because we want you to do something about what you've just heard. Mike has shared something from God's word, and we'd like you to to live life a little differently now because of it. What's your next step? I want to encourage you. I want to ask you that your next step could be to find one of these folks around the room, at the doors, there's somebody up in the balcony, to be able to say, yes, I will. Now, they're going to offer first hour. They did okay. They're not as awake as you guys. So I'm counting on you to do a great job. I'd like to just run out today as we do this. And again, remember that the resources are going to go to help feed hungry people, but this is also the tool that's going to help you start a conversation with somebody who may not know who Jesus is or who may have may have given up on the church as, as a whole. Use this opportunity to make the most of what's been put in front of you. Capitalize on it. Change a life. Be a difference maker. God bless you.